What's up, soccer players? On today's episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience, we have a special guest, Coach Alex Calder of the Houston Dynamo. Um, he's in charge of their sports science over there. We're going to talk to him about his experience over there, his journey on what it takes for him to get there, and just some advice for the players and the coaches out there. Let's start off very, very basic. Will a six-pack help me as a soccer player? Logically, why pregame meals are important. If you do strength training, you can generate more force on the ground and take you less stride to get that ball. Until you get there, you can make that up with hard work and dedication and training. On top of it, right, so if you're a player that has little to no training history imagine the the gains and speed that you can get in such a short period of time because you're doing it this is why strength training is important i don't care how you do your strength training some people like to go to the gym i just wanted to double down on that really quick the point is you have to get stronger morbid note though so how you doing oh man uh doing slightly better actually i got vaccinated um about a week ago um yeah, has has the vaccine been up by you in Boston at all, really? Or? Um, well, I mean, outpatient physical therapy. So, how do you get yours so fast? Because I don't think I'm gonna get mine anytime soon. Because they're still vaccinating the PTs at work in hospital setting. Oh yeah, I, I guess it's different state by state. But um, in New Jersey, it was like all of healthcare just got it, boom, at one time. So, um, they did the hospitals first, and then after that, everything else was kind of a free-for-all yeah is there is there a facility that you go to to get tested like how, how does this work uh just went to a um each, each county has a few sites that are designated ah, okay. to to go to so i'm gonna uh, look into that yeah yeah definitely um my town back home it's actually a a super vaccination site where um, we have a mall and in the mall we had a sears and the sears closed so oh, they're using shoot. the empty sears as a full vaccination center which is kind of crazy but uh, i think we just kind of need a few of those around and we should be good but uh today it's not about us we have a very special guest on the show today coach alex calder of the the houston dynamo and the mls thank you so much for being on the show today coach and yeah welcome to the show no worries thanks guys uh humble to be here and um yeah looking forward to it appreciate it Nice, nice. So tell, tell us where you're from, because obviously the listeners here by now, you have a little bit of an accent. Uh, tell us where you're from and, and your journey here. Uh, yeah, so I'm from uh, Melbourne, Australia, which is um, a big city at, out in Australia, uh, down the southeast coast. Um, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a uh, long journey to get here to the States and where I'm at today with Houston, but um, it's taken a, yeah, a lot of ups and downs and uh, Maybe, like I was saying to Berg, a bit of a personality, I, I guess, to, to yeah. kind of pack up your bags and, and, and get a one-way trip out here. But, um, yeah, it's been a long journey. Uh, yeah, for me, look, I, I grew up in Melbourne, um, played, played football for about 20 years, 21 years, something like that. Um, so I started, started playing in 95 and then uh, I got a scholarship to come out to the US first off in North Dakota when I was uh, 17, 18. Um, did a couple years out there and, and had a pretty good stint playing wise. Um, and then started obviously my undergrad degree. Um, ended up going home to, to uh, take a move to continue playing. Um, I, I went back home and continued playing in, in the third division. Um, and decided to go down the route of 
uh, doing some online uh, school, like continuing my online education um, whilst obtaining strength and conditioning certifications. Uh, and at the time I was probably 19 or 20 by then, probably 20 by then. Um, and then, yeah, ended, ended up playing and working and then it got to a point in my mid-20s where I had to kind of uh, pick uh, whether I was going to coach or play because I, I got to a point where I couldn't do both. Um, uh, well, I had to make that decision and, and then, uh, yeah, reflected on, on my playing and, and realised uh, it wasn't paying as much as I thought it would and uh, I, was, I was rubbish. So I <laughs> uh, decided to, yeah, eventually to coaching um, full-time, um, worked with pro footballers, worked with a couple of pro ice hockey teams um, and then and, and contracted for some other professional clubs in Melbourne. Um and then, yeah, like just made the leap and, and uh, packed a suitcase and said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the States and, and give it a crack. Um, so I did, um, and, and, it, and it was tough. Um, lived out in Boston, well, outside of Boston for, for a couple of years and um, just worked at a private facility trying to, you know, uh, continue coaching and uh, begin networking and started flying all around the country to, to conferences and uh, meeting practitioners and things like that and uh, ended up getting an internship at Purdue. From there, went to University of Louisville, um, spent a year at University of Louisville and then uh, I was offered a job at uh, Orlando City in the MLS uh, as the assistant fitness coach. A um, couple seasons there and then um, Paul Caffrey was, was uh, uh, nice enough to offer me a gig as the head of sports science at Houston Dynamo. So, um, kind of just gone up the, the food chain that way, I suppose. That's a Alex. journey. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Alex, it's, it sounds like, you know, um, from, you know, saying, like you said, uh, seeing that professional footballer wasn't working out as well as you wanted it to be. And then um, trying to get your certification process in order, then leaving Australia to come here to the state especially in Boston where it's cold, um, doing private um, session, you know, with a facility. So it seems that there was a lot of figuring it out after, um, I guess, leaving um, the, the, the playing side of the football journey. Um, did you have any particular goal in mind? You know, what kept you going? What was the fuel? Um, you know, I've, I've reading a lot about, you know, people going through their journey and they always had like that, that one goal, that passion, that why, what, what kept you motivated? What kept you going through trying to figure things out? What was it? Um, you know what, like, I, I think it's my personality and, and, and I guess my drive. I, um, I have a pretty strong personality in that, that once my mind set on something, there's no, there's no plan B. So, um, Kind of when I when I packed my bags in when I was in my mid twenties and said I'm going to the states. I, I said that's it. I'm going and um, someone's going to hire me. That uh, and that was my plan. Um, yeah. And it was like reflecting back, I'm like, geez, what, what were you thinking? But um, no, look, and, and it was it was the same thing. Like when I um, got a, a internship at Purdue, it was only uh, for a few months, but I packed all my things and 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 then when I went down to Indiana. From, from Boston, um, I didn't make a plan to come back. I said, look, someone's going to hire me out of that internship and, and that's it. Mm. Um, so, and, and 
I, I did, um, but I, I absolutely worked my tail off to, to, to get a job offer, which was actually from the University of Louisville. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been how, how, it's, uh, how it's gone. Um, I just go in and everything I kind of do once my mind's set, it's, it's, it's really flat stick and, and all about it. And um, yeah, there's no plan B. So that's pretty much how I've gone job to job and um, kind of stayed in the field. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I love football, played for a long time. And um, so that's been my drive. Okay. Yes, there was yeah. no, no, no going outside that profession. You're going to basically stay around the soccer realm um, as much as it, as you can. I, I, I got, I understand that. Seems like you're operating a lot on uh you're following your gut instinct a lot too, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know what they say, kind of your gut instinct or your first instinct is, is generally right. So um, kind of gone by that. So I, I imagine one day it'll bite me in the ass or, or something will happen, but <laughs> <laughs> as of now it's working. So yeah, listen, it's working. It's working. Yeah. Yes, sir. I, I got to ask, though, from Australia, North Dakota, and Boston, like, the weather change there. I know. Like, did, one, did that impact you personally? Two, did that impact the way you train people? Because I know down, down south, even in North Carolina and Florida area, um, the, the training's a little bit different because the weather's different. Yeah, mate, it was like, it was a real shock, like, even I tell you, my time in North Dakota was even really interesting because um, I spent, as a player, my whole life training in, and playing in Melbourne, which is obviously sea level. Um, and at the time when I was eighteen, like I was, I was incredibly fit. That my my game plan as a player was was um, being fit. Um, so I, I probably wasn't the best gifted technically or tactically, but. But um, I was always the fittest player on the park. Um, then when I went to North Dakota, uh, obviously it was absolutely freezing, and we had games in, in the cold and in the towards the tail end in October and November it was absolutely freezing. Um, but there was one year I'll never forget because we went actually to Denver. We had three games in five days in, in Denver, um, so we played Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and everyone had, had warned me about the, the high altitude and, and how things are with, with, with your lungs and, and breathing and respiration. And um, at the time, I'd, we did a pre-season test and I'd, I'd been first in the beep test and all this sort of stuff and I was fit. And we gone to, <laughs> we gone to Denver and the, the first game, I think it was uh, Metro State, I think they were called. Um, and I was playing on the wing, so I was right wing at the time. And I was just gunning it up and down, up and down. And I look at the clock and, and I had to make a sub and it was 17 minutes into the game. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe 17 it. Minutes. 17 minutes. 17 um, minutes. Lucky with the college rules, you can come out and then obviously go back in second half. But I was absolutely beside myself. I, I thought, geez, you guys aren't kidding. Like, this is, uh, this is incredible. I, I couldn't go any further. Uh, definitely a different breed over here with the altitude and the temperature too. Um, but yeah, that that's crazy to hear that, you know, even with the altitude changes, your, your team was still able to, to compete. Yeah. And how did that week go for you guys? If you remember? Uh, I, I do remember. I think we had a good, good year that year. That might've been my second year uh, at the team. And uh, I want to say we won one or two of those. Um, 
one of those teams were nationally ranked at the time, and it was it was Division Two, so it was it was okay. It was pretty good competition, but um, yeah, I want to say we went we went fifty percent um, wins to losses. I can't really remember. That was a long time ago, but yeah, I think we did all right that that uh, that week. To be fair, nice, nice. And then let's let's kind of fast forward to your time in Orlando. Um, Orlando City, and I, I think at that time it was one of the, the newer teams in MLS, and um, most people know the club around the world for Ricardo Kaká mm-hmm. and his playing for, for your team over there. And you mentioned in your article that he was one of the most professional people you have ever worked with. Um, I'm guessing part of it is clearly because of his technical ability, but I kind of want to explore everything else besides that and see what players can kind of take from that in terms yeah. of his professionalism. Yeah. He said, he said, Kaka made his job like 10 times easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really did. Yeah. So Orlando was, was an expansion team. So they started in, in 2015 and um, uh, from the fitness or performance side, they, they only had one guy, um, Dave McKay and he's, he's, one of the best practitioners in the MLS, um, but but when you when you're at the club, obviously one person is not enough. So uh, he offered me a role in in 2017. Um, so when I was there in 2017, it was actually my first year with the club, but it was Ricky's last year as a player. So he was. Um, I don't think he planned on retiring at the end of the year, but but he ended up retiring at the end of the year. So. Um, Maybe maybe that's why his mindset was was where it was at because he was 33 at the time, um, and and he'd kind of been there, done that, and he was he was not out to obviously not out to impress anybody, but um, the way he went about his operations was was second to none, like the absolute pinnacle of of professionalism. Um, everything he did was was top level. Um, he, he trained with, with intent. He, he played games with intent. He, he did everything that was asked. Um, you know, oftentimes we have players, for example, that that don't like to wear GPS or, or don't want to wear GPS in games because they don't have to. But uh, Ricky never even uh, never even had that discussion with him. I said, "Here's your GPS," and he'd, he'd put it on every game. So he was um, by far just made things as far as operations from our end, just, just incredibly easy. Um, and that was like, that for me set a precedent of professionalism. I was like, if, if arguably, you know, one of the best players and obviously in 2007, he won the Ballon d'Or. So he was the best player in the world at one point. If he can behave like that, uh, in a professional environment, why can't everybody, um, which is, which is a, it's a, it's an incredibly tough ask. Absolutely, yeah, that's a tough, a tough ask, ask man. But um, but yeah, it, it was interesting because I was exposed to that, and then um, and then uh, obviously you get an array of personalities um, throughout the sport and and throughout different cohorts. But um, that for me, like just seeing seeing someone so humbled, uh, knowing his accolades in the field was was sensational. Nice. I also never heard anyone refer to Kaka as Ricky. This is this is exclusive. <laughs> yeah. This is exclusive for, for this podcast. I've never heard somebody refer to Kaka as Ricky before. Yeah, that's, that's exclusive his, right there. That's his English name, and and uh, <laughs> he, he called me Ale. Um, so I think like that maybe it was my uh, Latino name. I don't know. <laughs> 
That's nice. So I, I kind of read a quote, I think it was from, from Mike Boyle over the, the internet a few days ago. Um, and he mentioned when the best players on your team are also the best people on your team, um, the team chemistry just goes through the roof because you have that leading by example um, from the front. Um, kind of, kind of is from your experience in that scenario. Do you believe that to be true? And how did his attitude affect the the team chemistry? Yeah, absolutely. I think like it's really interesting because I've seen uh, you know a handful of teams, including twenty years of, of playing. Um, so I've seen an array of locker rooms for sure. Um, it, it made things easier because a guy like Ricky has an instant. Um, level of respect before you even meet him and before you even, um, you know, have a chance to dis- dissect his personality because of who he is and his stature mm-hmm. in the field. Um, but I think if, if you have a leadership group in, in the locker room or a, 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 or a captain, if, if it's one person, they certainly need to lead by example. But I think it's obviously dependent on, on the the rest of the locker room, the personalities, because I think at times it can be inappropriate to have a strong personality, maybe someone who can also crack the whip at the same time when, when needed. Um, so I think every every yeah every locker room needs a needs a different captain, and, and it's really hard to kind of pinpoint who that would be. But um, even for example, we we kind of went a different direction my first year when, when uh, Ricky was a captain there, he was very, very, very laid back. And he, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily uh, an authoritative um, figure, but he did lead by example. He was always training. He was training hard. He was playing games hard. He was um, doing a pregame speeches, things like that. Um, but when it came to, to off-field stuff, uh, you know, implementing fines and trying to have a disciplinary role. Um, he, he wasn't really present in that manner. Whereas the following season, um, our leadership group was guys like Will Johnson and and um, uh, John Spector. And John Spector had 15 years of Premier League experience. Um, and those guys had a bit more of a disciplinary role um, and, and a bit more of the authoritative figure as opposed to Ricky. Um, but still had, had a very similar, if not the same, level of respect by, by the rest of the team because of their, their, their previous playing experience as well. Um, so I think it's a little tricky and it, it also depends on, yeah, what, what, what the players around them need and what the players around them will respond to, you know? Dang, that's, that's deep because, I mean, I kind of seen it through watching um, – have you ever seen um, Ted Lasso? On Apple TV. <laughs> I haven't watched this yet. No, I've been meaning to watch that. I've been meaning to sit down and watch that. I highly, highly recommend. Like, that should be on your to-do list, like, the soonest you have free time. But um, kind of looking through the club there, and it, it's a little bit of a satire there, obviously. But um, just seeing the impact that, yeah, multiple clubs have multiple captains for a reason. And each one kind of has their own spin on it and, and their role and everything like that. Um, but that's that's very interesting to to hear. So um, going over from there to uh, Houston Dynamo, what was that transition and role like for you going from assistant uh, fitness coach over to like the head of sports science? Um, yeah, it, it, it was certainly different. Um, at Orlando, it's just myself and Dave McKay on the performance side. Um, 
and then obviously when I went to to Houston, um, the the head of performance, which is Paul Caffrey, um, plays a bit of a different role here. So uh, he, he certainly gave me a lot more autonomy to do uh, more jobs, and we divide and conquer a little differently as opposed to my role in in Orlando. So um, yeah, there's definitely a lot more responsibility and but uh, in, in turn, a lot more autonomy to do things um, as far as player management. So uh, in, my, in my current role, I, I uh, oversee the monitoring side of things. So all the sports science, uh, if you will. Um, play a heavy hand in the strength and conditioning. We kind of tag team that. Um, and then, then I uh, have, a, have a really big role in the, in the late uh, end stage uh, rehab processes too. So I think in a nutshell, the, the, the way I describe my role, even though the title is, is sports science, um, I think my, my overarching role is, is to use all the resources that the club has to minimize um, uh, risk of injury and time loss from injury whilst maximizing performance. Uh, when I say that, when I talk about resources, it's not necessarily tangible resources like all these different pieces of equipment and things like mm -hmm. that, because we're a club that doesn't necessarily have that. But the resources that I think that I am uh, a bit more adequate in, in utilizing is, uh, well, my knowledge and experience, but also the, the, the staff that I'm surrounded by. So we're lucky enough that we have a sensational medical department. So uh, for me to do my job incredibly efficient and effective is to utilize them, um, to utilize their their wealth of knowledge and their wealth of experience um, and tie that into what I'm doing. And it, and it makes my job look, it makes me look a lot better, but but I'm really just utilizing um, um, everyone under the performance umbrella. It sounds like um, based on what you're saying, it seems that, yeah, you, you consult, you taking in all those resources and trying to find like the best thing that works um, to, you know, get your players in, in tip top shape at the same time, um, keeping them from getting injured. Um, so obviously during that process, you, you, you probably know exactly from all the data analysis you've done that what seems that what works and what doesn't work, um, going along that route, um, are there some of the, some most basic matrix metric things that you know, a, um, a followers or, or amateur soccer player can use um, basically to kind of like track their performances and for themselves and see what they, what works for them, you know, like you doing without using expensive piece of technology. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think like, to, yeah, to maximize that sort of stuff with, with minimal technology or minimal resources, um, I like to try and keep it as simple as possible, even when we do have technology available. For example, if I'm using GPS, I'll, I'll only use things that that I'm able to manipulate on the field. So uh, I try and stay away from arbitrary metrics that that seem somewhat irrelevant, but um, I'll just use total distance. So that's mm -hmm. a volume and then a couple of intensity markers. So um, accelerations, decelerations, and then, high speed running or sp sprint thresholds. So I think like to, to maximize that, um, you know, you obviously want to have an adequate amount of sprint exposures throughout the week. Um, okay. and, and that can, you don't even need GPS for that. That can be self-reported. You can go out and, and do your fitness session and okay, today's a 
um, today's a sprint day. Um, you do you do a couple of sprints with, with big rests in between. And you go, oh, geez, that felt like 90, 90%. I'm going to go another gear and try and click 95. Um, simple stuff like that. And then obviously RPE um, and SRPE, so which is your, your rate of perceived exertion times how long you're doing that for is probably the most valid and reliable, um, you know, non-technology based uh, mm. monitoring metric you can use. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too. I actually got, and I kind of want to get your, your opinion on this if we can. Um, I got one of those stat sports um, athlete trackers that they, they sell kind of retail now. And uh, about a year ago, I did maybe six or seven weeks of training and comparing the, the RPE measurements to the GPS measurements I was looking. And like, I always hear from people like you and reading in books that like they, they match up almost exactly the same, but seeing it with my own eyes, it's like, wow, this is literally like the correlation is almost exactly mm. um, on par with that. Um, do you think that though with these, these, uh, these more technology-based um, softwares becoming more retail-based, um, do you think it's worth the investment for some of these um, players who want to make it to, to a higher level to invest in? Uh, geez, I, I don't think it's, it's necessary. I think, I think having the readily available, um, technology is certainly advantageous, but, but I don't think it's necessary. I think, um, it's great that the, the way the sports science is going, but we can't, we can't, you know, forget the basics and, and doing the basics well. Um, I mean, hitting different levels of intensity of, of fitness sessions can also be self-reported. Um, and and the better you are self-tuned and and self-aware of your body then then the less you, you kind of need that like i'd never forget a time it was actually in orlando and i was i was doing rehab with john specter and we we're doing uh sprint exposures i said oh okay once you once you go about 75 in 75 percent of your max in a stride and he's he's done it i go what do you think that was and he goes yeah it was probably between between 70 and 75 and I've gone and looked and it was like 73. Like he was absolutely <laughs> spot on with it. And I said, okay, this, it just kind of reaffirms what, what, you know, what you already know. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously using the RPE, like you're talking about is your response to it. And sometimes it doesn't match up. If you go and do a, a you know, a three kilometer session um, that, that normally is a low session, um, but but you've slept four hours and you know it's just six day training in a row in a week that rp is not going to be super low like you anticipate anymore you know so uh, it's important to get that sort of response to that as well yeah but, uh, all, all, with all this technology becoming readily readily available i agree with you it's not always necessary but um eventually you know if players are gonna use it they also have to have a certain education on figuring out what data is useful you can get lost in all the data that these things are providing you and messed up your your your, your training session because you're just following on too many things to do yeah it's exactly right you don't want to you don't want to start taking away from the football side of things either like and this is this is from a sports scientist if you will you know um that, that, that yeah like it's not always necessary you, you don't want to distract from the football side of things 
And even at this level now, where we do have it, and when players ask for it, sometimes I'm just like, look, don't worry about that. Why don't you play, play, train, and, and do what you do? Like, don't don't worry about getting the, the feedback at the minute because it's only one piece of a puzzle, you know? Yeah. yeah nice. um, so, one other thing, too. Um, I was going to ask him a quick question, Andy. Um, seeing that, you know, a lot of the top players are coming here to retire, basically, is driving up the market value of the MLS. Um, you know, all the, the, the clubs are, have academic, uh, ac- um, ac- academy. Oh, my God, I'm, I, can't, I can't say a word today. Um, the, the youth club um, development um, aspect of it. Have you seen a reflection of that? You know, the, the resources for the MLS and for soccer in the U.S. is increasing. Is there a correlation between that and the quality of the talent that you see in your academy? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because obviously the, the demand for everything in the league is going up with higher profile players coming over, uh, which includes the academy because now a lot of clubs are really pushing the academy because not only is the quality going up, but, but the, the, the level of, of technical ability from, from youth players is certainly increased. You see the whole U.S. men's national team at the minute is all what, under 26. Yeah. Um, and, and then guys like uh, Brandon Aronson from, from Philly go through the academy and now they're, they're over in Europe. Um, so there's definitely, there's definitely a push for, for um, uh, driving you know, athletic performance through the academy. Um, even for us, for example, we just hired a uh, head of strength and conditioning for our academy uh, at the beginning of 2020, who's um, we, we handpicked out of Australia, who's, who's one of the best uh, in Australia. So we brought him over, and um, we have a we have a big emphasis on our academy here now, uh, moving forward, especially from the physical preparation side. Nice, yeah, it's crazy to see that the the development of us soccer because even mls as a league we're not that old we're like 25 26 yeah, years no, old fairly young yeah but we're starting to make really good players i think really good players that are gonna go in high places and they're playing champions league football right now which i think speaks for itself yeah exactly oh alfonso davies just stands out for me this guy i remember watching him live against against orlando i thought this kid is unbelievable man and now look at him you know <laughs> <laughs> this is true this is true so um let's let's get into advice for the, our last few minutes on the pod here um what advice do you have for young players really trying to make it um one from a, a technical or general perspective but two from a fitness perspective as well uh yeah that that's a tricky question um it's a good question for sure uh i think if it was any advice that I could give to to young players, it would it would be try to utilize uh, resources. And there's a lot. We're in a world now, 2021, where there's so much information online, so much poor information, but so much good information if you look at the right places. Um, but you can certainly get a lot of really good uh, fitness programs or fitness advice um, online now, or reach out to practitioners. Or there's a, there's some sensational practitioners working in the, in the private industry um, that can help. Um, I don't think it's, it's a, it's a bad thing now to try and reach out to people and ask for help and, and, and utilize it because you can't expect a player to do everything themselves nowadays anymore, you know, because the, the, the demands of the game are so much higher that, that um, 
um, it, it's always nice having assistance there, especially if you want to get to that that top level. Um, and that, the same goes for the technical side of things. There's a lot of there's a lot of football coaches out there that, that work in parks and things like that. It's I think if you uh, if uh, you're really dedicated to become a pro footballer, you'll try and um, reach out to those people and those resources and try and get the best best that you can for your own development. And what about for the uh, the coaches out there who maybe have a squad that they're either um, struggling with injuries or lacking in fitness? What's your advice to them to try to improve the the health and performance of their teams? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a tough one always because I, I actually have a lot of a lot of coaches reach out to me and and I'm always happy to provide advice. It, it's very hard without not knowing the context and, and cohort of their environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, but, but again, yeah, same thing. Try to try to look, try to get past all the rubbish on, on the internet and, and get into the good stuff and hopefully find some gold nuggets in there that, are, that apply to your, to your team and, and what you're trying to do with, with your club and, and, and players. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's probably the best, uh, best advice I can give, I think. Do you have um, any book recommendation that um, you you consulted along that journey? Um, you know, there's a there's a new book uh, by Ryan Alexander who's with Atlanta uh, called Complete Conditioning for Soccer. I think this is a really nice introductory book to. Didn't uh, we read that, Andy? We did. We did. Yeah, we yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is a good. A, a, a good book for anyone working in youth football or, or any level of football to get a really kind of, um, you know, base introductory level of, of knowledge when it comes to the, the fitness side of things, f- for sure. Um, I think that's, that's great. And then anything more, um, there's, there's tons of books, there's science in soccer, there's, there's uh, elite soccer performances. There's a handful of them, but I would certainly start with complete conditioning for soccer. This, this one is, is a fantastic introductory book. Yeah, we, 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 Andy and I, we read that. Um, it, it, it was the, the conditioning aspect was good, but everything else was kind of like introductory level to us. Um, one of the thing, um, I'm not a strength and condition. I'm not certified yet um, for strength and conditioning, but I, I'm, I'm always deep in those books. And one of the things I know this is just, they don't teach you how to program in any of those books. Is there any books out there that actually teach you how to program? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, one book that I really, really enjoy is advanced strength and conditioning. Um, it's by, uh, Andy Turner and Paul Comfort. I think this one is a fantastic S and C book. I think this would be probably one of the leading ones at the minute. Um, it's, it's not necessarily revolved around soccer, but it is, it mm-hmm. is uh, a fantastic S and C, um, um, handbook for sure. I'll definitely give that a try. Yeah, nice. Perfect. Well, Coach Alex Cowder, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, It's been a real pleasure to hear kind of, it seems like a lot of your your recommendations were pretty basic in nature, but that just goes to show that even at the professional level, focusing on the basics, that can bring you a long, long way. Yeah. That's it. That's that's what I'm all about, mate. Is just doing the the basics and just trying to do them really, really well. That's it. Perfect. Well, well thank said. you so much for coming on, and yeah, hope thank you enjoy you so the rest much, of man. your evening. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure and, and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me to the show. Yeah, no problem. If you need help promoting anything, just, just, just hit us up. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank and we'll you. We'll see you all next week.